Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. What were the Denby lights? How many witnesses were there? Where did the lights come from? And where did they go? Welcome to the 1020th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Coming to you from WOON AM and FM radio in Woonsocket, Rhode Island, on the Paranormal Radio app from TalkStream Live and on YouTube. I'm Tim Swartz, guest co-hosting via Skype today, and Paul's with us too, coming in through Skype as well. How many like my new synthetic voice produced for me by Boston Children's Hospital? Pretty creepy, if you ask me. <laughs> it's getting there. I mean, there might be a way we could just pipe it straight into your microphone. <laughs> but yeah. We'll, but we'll get there when we get there, I guess. But hey, you know, that's that's not the reason we're here, even though it is a little spooky and we're a little past Halloween here. Uh, today we are pleased to welcome a new guest on a new case. Gary Jones dedicates himself to investigating a wide range of fascinating subject areas, such as UFO and uh, ET phenomena, uh, ancient history, false flag events, and forbidden knowledge and sciences. Over the last seven years, uh, his UFO investigative investigative work uh, has produced some fascinating evidence on solid UFO cases, uh, such as the Pentec incident, the Denby Lights, uh, the Caldecott Triangle, and others. His uh, objective is to discover the truth about the world in which humanity lives. Very noble pursuit. Gary is also a uh, political activist who uh, works to expose the UK government, businesses, and mainstream media as corrupt. Uh, when he's not doing that, Gary has been or Gary has spent the last ten years pursuing his interests in photography, art, and reading. Uh, he has had numerous sightings and paranormal and supernatural uh, experiences throughout his life. His book, The Denby Lights. A truthful argument for the existence of UFOs. Gary Jones, welcome to Behind the Paranormal. Thank you for having me on, gentlemen. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, it's it's a pleasure to ha- have you with us, especially <laughs> on on something we've never really talked about before. And we always we thought for years ago that we would run out of things to talk about when we first started the show, and boy, oh boy, were we wrong. <laughs> so I guess to, to to kick off the show, so can you give us a little bit of background about the case? And tell us, kind of, give give us the play-by-play of it, if you will. All right. Um, it involves a family of four who live up in uh, Danby, North Wales. And it was during a stormy and rainy night. It was actually a big storm up in that part of uh, the UK. And uh, it was about 3 a.m. in the morning, January 3rd, uh, 2012. And one young boy named Nathan Thomas, who was 12 at the time, just heard a noise coming from... Coming from uh, outside, he looked out to see what it was. It was his big council bin, rubbish bin, blowing over. And as he looked out, he saw in the background or up in the distance, there was a series of flashing lights, which he couldn't understand. He thought, was it coming from the reflection on his uh, TV or light or something in the room? But it wasn't. He opens the window, and there it is, this oval-shaped disc-shaped-looking object with these incredible flashing lights on it. And uh, he went to wake his brother up, Alex Thomas, who was 14 at the time. He was just trying to get asleep, and then there's his brother saying, come here, there's a UFO outside. And he thinks he's winding him up. And they both then go to the window, and 
well, you know, Alex said that when he saw it, you know, so well, he's tired and all of a sudden it's like, oh, wow, you know, it's like instant awake, you know, your body's just quickly switching back on. So they started filming it because Nathan had a video camera given to him for Christmas. It was a Camellio S30. I think it was made by Toshiba. At the time, very decent camera, but obviously by today's standards, pretty subpar. But it, it, it did the job that it needed for its, for the time. And uh, what they caught on the video was this really strange, you can even sometimes make it out, the oval disc-shaped uh, appearance of it, but more so the unusual flashing lights, which are nothing like I've seen on an aircraft or... Or anything on a plane or on a building or anything that would normally be explained by paranormal or supernatural uh, explanations or even just some of the more far-fetched things that people say. Um, the mother, Linda Pritchard, woke up uh, by Alex just a bit later. She's downstairs sleeping, trying to get some rest, and Alex comes down with such a, you know, quite a high, you know, high intense energy, like, ma'am, ma'am, you know, come look. She thinks the house is on fire, but then there's nothing going on. She goes to the window. And later, they're followed by the fourth and final witness, Kira Lee Thomas. Kira Lee George, sorry. And uh, they're all looking at it. And I've uh, had a chance then to interview them, uh, do some investigation work. There was a preliminary investigation done by a man named Peter Glynn during the early years. But I didn't get involved in the case until about six years after. So we're talking like 2018, April 2018. So by then, you know, the, the boys had grown up and, you know, all the young, all the young teenagers are adults now. And, but they've still got the video footage. And I had a look at it and I thought, you know, I, I, it was like 10 minutes long. It's like two set, two video, different sets of videos. But they added up to about nine, 10 minutes worth of video footage. And I was just like, wow. You know that is definitely real. You don't. I've, I've seen something like that myself. And Gary, may I ask where that video can be seen? I saw it on YouTube. If you have a link, uh... I do have the video in my documentary on my Rumble channel. It's broken up into two segments because I I I, um, I had to transcribe the video. You know, put the subtitles into it just so that people can hear what they're saying. But I'm. In the video itself, you can genuinely see um, what's actually on there. But, uh, yeah, that's on Rumble. It's on my channel. It's under the Denby Lights uh, UFO investigation. I also put a bit of it as well in my um, presentation that I've done recently in June. Uh, that was down in Newport. They had a conference down there, and they asked me if I'd like to, like, you know, like to speak. Yeah, so if you want to see the video, you can see it that way. I haven't got the vote. You know, I can't exactly just put the video up and say, there you go, because obviously they're yeah. copyright material, but I had the permission to use it for that for that moment, because, you know, I was the only one, really, besides, you know, you'd think by now someone from media would have picked it up, but after that preliminary investigation that Peter Glynn did, he, um, uh, you know, it's like the case just went dead silent, and I was like, six years on, and you're telling me no one's looked at this, you've probably got some of the best video footage I've ever seen. Yeah. And, you know, some of the best locations for investigation work, and you're telling me that no one's ever looked into this, and I was shocked by that. Yeah, but, me uh, too. Well, mm. there was an argument that we we, we heard from a uh, from a, a guest we had on not too long ago who, who made the point that there, a lot of a lot of you know ufologists will focus on a lot of the old cases, the you know, the Roswells, you know, the um, Betty and Barney Hill incidents and they, they, they focus on that and they kind of ignore 
some of the newer things. I mean, with MUFON and groups like that, you know, you, you kind of you have more people focusing on newer things, but there's a large focus on the things that have happened, like you know, 50, 60 years ago, versus what's going on, you know, within the last decade or so, you know. So you're 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 missing a lot a lot of a lot of events and and things that are happening that are that are quite significant, and with that. You have that that subtext of your of the title of of your book, which is you know a truthful argument for the existence of UFOs. Now, this this is probably going to sound a little you know uh, antagonistic, and I'm not trying to sound antagonistic. Um, so, with with the with disclosure, right? You know the whole the whole disclosure movement that's going on. What you know, as such as it is, you know, I mean, with with the Pentagon coming out and all these other groups saying, oh well, you know, we know they exist. You know, with, with an argument of you know a truthful argument of you know the existence of UFOs, what's the argument to be made if if it's kind of becoming more and more accepted? You know what I mean? Yeah, it's kind of funny how the all this stuff has just suddenly gone into full. Well, I wouldn't say it's gone into full mode, but it's certainly getting there. You know, we're getting more witnesses coming forward and more expert testimonies. What we're not getting is, uh, shall we say, the more investigative side of physical evidence or scientific uh, uh, analysis on things. You know, I mean, I really want to see the ships. I want to see the aliens. I want to know who they are, where they come from. Mm. But um, when I say truthful argument for the existence of UFOs, you bear in mind I've been working on this case over six, six. Well, actually, no, what are we? 2012. So you know, yeah, I, I came aware of it in 2016. So we're going, we're going up to. Hang on, now, I'm losing my track of thought. Yeah, 2018. So you know, you're talking like four or five years here. Around that time, I, I I could see you know that this this really just needed some investigation work. But once you conclude it, it, it is a genuine UFO event. And the reason why I call it the, you know, this this is my book here. The reason why I call it that, a truthful argument for the existence of UFOs, is because you see that thing there. Um, that was an actual. I mean, that's just an artist's impression done by Jason Gleaves. Now, Jason Gleaves is a former RAF man, and he does a book called UF Only, and he does investigation work, analysis with videos and pictures. You know, he, and he uses a lot of different filters and techniques that uh, he's obviously acquired over the years. Very, uh, very. Um, very professional guy when it comes to doing stuff like this. Very talented as well. And he, he was able to like sort of get some sort of idea of what this thing looked like. And that artist's impression there, in some ways, kind of gives you a shape of the lights look. On the bottom, on the top, and underneath. And I thought, he, cl- he concludes that it's unexplained. In other words, it's a genuine UFO. I've looked at all possible avenues that what this thing could be. There's no explanation for it. You've got 10 minutes worth of video, four great witnesses, and all these other explanations which don't stack up. So the reason why I say it's a truthful argument for the existence of UFOs, the argument I'm making is, is that if you're looking for a case which proves it to be true, that, you know, that UFOs are real, that they exist and there's evidence to support it, well, there you go. It's right there. You know, because by the time you, time you finish reading it, so you look at my documentaries and stuff as well that I've made for it, presentations. What else are you going to conclude? There's nothing. I, I've looked at everything possible. It's not planes. It's not helicopters. It's not lightning. It's not some, you know, something reflecting off of Venus. You know, the usual, the usual explanations. I mean, uh, Mick West actually did something on this very quickly. He called it aliens on golf carts. <laughs> you know, so I'll give you, I'll give you kudos for that one, Mick. But you know, I didn't come up with that one myself. But if you're suggesting it's people on, on 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 some sort of a bike or quad or vehicle that can run across grass. 
I mean, there's a very thick woods next to the golf course up there, and, you know, in order to continuously circle around for 15 minutes, which is how long the sighting lasted, in order to keep doing that, you'd have to drive through trees, very thick, dense branches and trees, and you're not going to be able to get through that very smoothly because you'll just be crashing into things. Mm. To mention there are fences, so, yeah. Uh, Gary, uh, besides the family, were there any other witnesses? I mean, I know this took place, you know, like really late at night, but uh, did anybody else uh, report seeing this? If they did, I haven't, I haven't uh, had a chance to meet them. There's only the four, the four family that saw it from the bedroom window, and um, while they all give their own different explanations as to what they're seeing, you know, they all conclude the same thing: it's oval shaped, it had a red light on top, it uh, moved from a horizontal to a vertical position you can even see that in the video and uh, it was dead silent and of course you know 50 60 mile an hour winds freezing temperatures it's like zero degrees or just above uh and yeah you know poor visibility and yet there's this thing floating just a floating just a distance from them and they said it was about 60 70 feet maybe wide um I haven't had any other witnesses come forward to me. If they if they are there, if anybody's seen anything, please get in contact with me. I have been putting the word out there, but unfortunately, this particular case is not getting, I think, the traction it deserves because, you know, although there are bigger cases, I guess, you know, the ones that really grab people's attention, you know, this is a nice, solid case with a good bit of evidence to back, with all this evidence to back it up, and yet, you know, it's been, it's just been kept under the radar, to say. I mean, I am, I am quite surprised about that. Hmm. Why do you think it has been kept under the radar? Well, in one way, you um, like you, uh, like Owen just said, you've got uh, all these uh, ufologists and groups that concentrate more on the older cases because obviously they generate the most interest, the Rendlesham's, the Roswells, you know, uh, things like that. But I mean, there are two cases that I've worked on. I mean, the Denby Lights is uh, obviously. When the video came out, uh, there was a... I can't remember the DJ's name now. Why is it I forget that important detail? But there was a, a very, very uh, popular musician who picked up on this, and he posted it on his Facebook page. And that exploded the views on Peter Glynn's um, video page. So obviously the interest was there right then, mm-hmm. but I guess no one capitalized on it. If I was there at that time, I would have you know, really taken that to, to new heights. The other case I've worked on, I'll just mention it quick, is the Panturk incident one. Has anybody seen that one? Oh. I'm actually not familiar yeah. with it. If you want to give us a little bit of, uh, 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 or well, you know, give us some background on it. I'll just uh, mention it quick because I don't want to take time from the other book. Um, yeah, February 26, 2016, uh, Cars Clark and her neighbor David, that's his anonymous name to hide his real identity, of course. The community had witnessed planes circling and doing zigzag patterns over their area for like three days, nights, wondering if, you know, there's some sort of exercise taking place, but no one was confirming that. Media were asked, they ignored it. And the St. Athens base, which is not too far away, didn't give any indication that there was an exercise taking place. So on the Thursday, was it the Thursday night or Friday night? I can't remember. But that night they decided to go and do a sky watch. So they're watching from the back garden of the of the Cass's home, and for hours, you know, this plane circling and not really doing much. It's getting cold. They want to go in, even though they've got a log fire lit, fire pit there. Yeah, um, very quickly, all more planes start joining in. 
One of them's an E3 Sentry. And then uh, sometime later, then these lights started to appear over the farm fields just uh, up behind their house. Started moving across the um, over the farm fields. They ran to the gate, which is the entrance to this area. But when they got there, these lights lit up, you know, more and more. And then it turned into out to be this massive triangular pyramid-shaped uh, um, craft. And it, it, it was huge, many hundreds of feet high and wide. It shot out multiple barrel-shaped orbs out of the top of it. Um, the craft itself looked like it may have come very close to making contact with the ground when it let out a huge arc of lightning from the one corner, which really lit it up in, a, uh, in an orange light. That's what the color of the lightning was uh, coming from the corner. And then um, two of these barrels came over to Cows and Dave where they were by the gates actually interacted with them and one of them was very close to cash he was like looking up at it like this you can see it in the picture you know you might be able to see it that's her waving at this thing that's very much how, although it's an artist's rendition it's a very close approximation it wasn't very far away and it was red it went to green and then it bathed her in this green light her and day but especially her and then later on there was a loud explosion over smilock woods area which is five miles from panturk northwesterly um, people living in the area were wondering what the hell was going on because that explosion was powerful, shook a hospital, shook homes, set off car alarms, made people jump out of their beds. We're talking something seriously big here, very powerful. And then later on, we've investigated it all, myself and Kaz, and we've uh, had friends and other witnesses who have come forward now. And we've concluded that this thing did actually come. They knew it was coming the military. They have covered it up. We've uncovered the cover-up. And we are more than certain now, with all the new witnesses we've got, that they did shoot one of these barrel-shaped objects down, in, and it went into Smilog Woods, breaking some trees. And uh, we have a witness or two who actually saw the object on the ground when they were camping in the woods that night. It's a lot to go into, but I'll just put it this way. Me and Kaz Clark have spent years working on this, and i got to give Kaz her due. She has gone through hell over this case. But she's, you know, she's really earned a lot of people's respect because, you know, not many witnesses would put up with that. Not many people would go through all that because she's been threatened. You know, she's had her life threatened and people have uh, tried to silence her and shadow ban her and call her out and just, you know, character assassinate her. And they've done it to me too, but, you know, they've done it more to Cass because she's the one that was the witness to it all. Mm. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a cover-up. We've uncovered it. The military, the Air Force have admitted... There were no exercises for military or air force for that night or that month in that area, and of course there were no. There's no paperwork. There's no documents, and there's just not, nobody can confirm an exercise of any kind, which is what their cover story was. So if you didn't do any exercises, why is it that you had all that military firepower, air force, and everything else when you say you had no reason to be there? So what you did was illegal, basically. Then if you were flying around like that all night. Unless you had an excuse, mm. just to intercept the UFO, this in, interdimensional craft, this pyramid. But anyway, um, I was actually investigating that one first, and then I got into this one at the same time. So I was doing two very big cases, uh, very much straight away. And um, yeah, I mean, obviously uh, that one has uh, not gone as. I mean, the Pentateuch one's gone quite quite global. Because of everything involved, you know, there's, a, there's, there's there's ramifications on a huge scale for that one. 
for humanity and the safety of everything. But you know, well, the Denby lights. The Denby lights is just a, you know, it's one of those nice cases. And North Wales is 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 notorious for some of the most impressive cases in the world. The Berwyn Mountains. I'm going Mountain. to ask you about that. Hmm. So go ahead. Well, there's a case that happened in 1974 uh, in the Berwyn Mountain incident. It was called. Oh, do you know, I wish I remember the names. I, I, I know them sometimes, but what I need to figure them out. But it's in the, it's in uh, North Wales area. There's a place called the Berwyn Mountains. Um, I'm not too sure the name of the village, but the village around there heard this loud explosion. Again, shook people's homes. It was measured on the Richter scale at something like 3.6. The military were on site pretty quickly. The residents living in the area thought it was a plane crashed or something, or something happened to them. Just very quickly, they went up there to investigate, and the army was sort of like leading them away or encouraging them to turn around or send them somewhere else where uh, nothing was really happening. But uh, one witness saw the massive spherical object that was up in the mountains. She was driving down the road. Her name was Pat Evans. She was with her two teenage daughters, and she saw what it was, you know, this spherical, orange, glowing, pulsing-like orb. It was massive. There seemed to be military people with lights up above, you know, like floodlights looking on it to sort of get a better idea of what they were looking at. And then at some point, uh, she got scared and worried with her daughter, so she drove off. But later on, that thing was seen going over uh, North Wales and heading out to sea, apparently, by some witnesses. That's what I've uh, come to understand from the later parts of that. But, uh, that's become a very big case. There's also another one called, um, there's a book coming out about it now. It's called The European Roswell with Gary Rowe, uh, the author of the book, and the guy who did the movie for it was Mark Ollie. Uh, they recovered a piece of this unusual craft. They said it exploded over a farm field of four fields. Gary Rowe was a UFO investigator in 1983. And um, this is more West Wales, really, sort of northwesterly, but it's still up in that area. You know, Wales is not that big a country. But they recovered a piece of it, and... Um, Gary had it tested, and according to him, he says, you know, it's, an, it's, it's made of human materials, but it's designed in a way that you could say is just far more refined than anything we've been able to do. Do you know what I mean? It's more advanced. So I, I look forward to seeing the book on that one, because I'll definitely be getting a copy, because that case is very interesting. And then there's just another one I'm, I'm familiar with called, um, it happened in 1979, and this is a good Welsh name, Fanechemeth. Uh... Residents living in the area said they saw a bullet-shaped craft come out of the sky. It landed behind a farm field. There was a residence uh, just over the other way. A couple of witnesses were close to see what was coming out of this craft. Three seven-foot-tall humanoids in silver radiation looking like suits. They walked around for a bit. One of them was in pairs. I actually met the one lady. She still lived there and told us all about it. And I was like, wow, you know. <laughs> Might have think you're still here, you know. I guess some people stay, stay close stay close to their home, don't they? But uh, she saw it, and they went back into the bullet craft and took off. And uh, there was a big investigation again. Military showed up and did all this stuff, you know, did all these investigations. There was a report made on it by Bufora. I have all this stuff in the book. I make a, a historical note of it all. And, um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's other cases I could mention, but... Um, those are the three big ones, really. I mean, we do have uh, some in South Wales, too, the Broadhaven Triangle. You know, that one's been uh, 
been a big one, but that was more West South Wales way. That's been on Netflix recently. If you've ever seen it. UFO Encounters or whatever the hell it's called. Uh, it's on my list, That's... unfortunately. I haven't had any time. <laughs> uh, it's a very, very, very good case. I mean, children saw some strange object in the sky. They reckon there was even an occupant that came out and waved to them. But I'll let people look at that one, you know, not to take two prizes away. But this one, this case here, I think belongs in that kind of folklore. Mm. Belongs in that sort of thing. Because, I mean, you know, it's got video evidence. It's got witnesses. It's got, you know... On, you know, on Peter Glenn did some real good work in the beginning because the family were looking for someone to really get into it. It's a shame I wasn't there, really, because I would have really, I would have just spent quite a lot of time on that one. But Peter did a really good job of getting testimonies, getting them on camera, doing day and night comparisons from the area where this thing had been seen. He went up to the site itself to see if he could find evidence of human activity and, um, did some, uh, analysis and things like that so i asked him i said wow you know i think you've done something good here um i said i've got some ideas to take it more forward expand it would you mind if i used your stuff and he said yeah go ahead you know and um yeah from there i expanded it uh i looked at weather reports radar returns i looked at i tried contacting the police because they were contacted they said it was lampers um i looked at um Google Maps, you know, to do size references. And I went up to the area myself to take a look around. I think it's important to go to these areas if you can and see what's what. And uh, I learned along the way that um, not just... And I also said I could get the video analyzed. But I also learned that there's, a, you know, a bit of an ancient woodland up there, which uh, quite a bit of it was chopped down mm. not long after the event. That seems to be a, a trend in these UFO cases. If something comes along... Maybe in a matter of days, weeks, months, they always go up there and they chop these areas down. Interesting. Well, right That's now we're, we're we're coming up to our, our mid-show break, but you do bring about a very interesting segue I, I wanted to get into uh, once yeah. we once we get back from our break here. So you're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno with our special special guest Tim Schwartz, as well as our wonderful guest here, uh, <clears throat> Gary Jones. Excuse me. Pardon me for allergies here, and you're listening to Behind the Paranormal. We'll be right back. The American Top 40 Falls and is replaying original shows from the 80s. This week, Casey takes you back to November 5th, 1983. That's when Billy Joel fell for an uptown girl. Air Supply was making love out of nothing at all. Men Without Hats were doing the safety dance. And Lionel Richie partied all night long. You'll hear those songs, all the top 40 hits, and the long-distance dedications from November 5th, 1983, right here on American Top 40, the 80s. Local and live at 99.5 FM. Welcome back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno, coming to you from WOON AM and FM here on your beautiful Blackstone River Valley in Woonsocket, Rhode Island. And our special guest co-host as well, that's Tim Schwartz, who's coming to us via Skype. And our wonderful guest, Gary Jones, talking about the Denby lights and all sorts of other high strangeness. And now I wanted to get into a, a very fascinating subject for me personally, which is the idea of ancient sites kind of correlating with paranormal phenomena. So we, you started to briefly mention mention that before we before we went to the break. So I, I wanted to kind of pose a little a little extra divot in there, if you will, which is 
Have you found that there's other um, phenomena like correlating or coinciding with this, i.e., like the green children of Woolpit with you know Rendlesham Forest, you know, in that sort of vein, some sort of odd happenings, maybe fairies, anything like that, you know, folkloric significant events? Yeah, I have looked into that. Uh, again, I, I like I looked into this when I was studying the area because I wanted to see if there was a pattern of strange phenomenon or something happening. And um, there have been talks about strange dragons that lived under Denby Castle. Supposedly a man, I believe, with eight fingers slayed him. Uh, there's also been talk of, uh, yeah, uh, strange lights in the sky during the uh, 1600s, 1700s. And there was even a story about a woman who was walking around Denby Castle. Denby Castle seems to be a center hub for some of these things. Where... Um, uh, she was walking with her dog. The dog um, was bathed in a light of some kind, kind of made him sort of shimmer backwards. She reached out her hand to go grab her, and she got burned by the thing. And uh, she never she suffered some injuries from it. But uh, yeah, there's all there's been there's all talks of like um, when you say fairies, I think spirits. You know, people seeing ghosts. There have been paranormal activities up there. Mm. There is a, an old hospital, a mental hospital. I don't think it's standing now. I think it's been shut for a long time, but there's been talk of all kinds of crazy things going on up there, you know, butchery and uh, strange experiments and on people. And I wonder if that's got something to do with, uh, you know, demonic stuff. Because I'm, I'm, I'm hearing the stories. I don't know if I can verify them 100% for you. But but uh, I'm always interested, you know, about this idea that a dragon lived in the area and it was slayed by um, a man who had eight fingers, and I'm like, well, you know, where do you get stories like that from? You know, they got to come from somewhere, right? You know, mm. you don't just invent them. But uh, the ancient woodland thing, I mean, this is an area of Christmal Woods, it's called. Um, it's it's just, I've tried to ask anyone, why did you chop down these, this section of trees just five, six weeks after the event? And I learned that. By speaking to uh, Margaret Pritchard, the, the sister of Linda, and auntie to Nathan and Alex, she said um, she said that to me when we were walking around the area. It was a lovely, beautiful woodland. It uh, was always a lovely scenic place to take your dog or just walk, get get onto the you know the wooded areas, the birds, you know, the lovely lovely sounds of green and all kinds of flowers and stuff. And then one day they just came in and chopped it all down. And I'm like, why did they do that? And I've asked them about. It. Oh, they, no one, no one, no one knows why. Uh, they just did it, and it is an area of special scientific interest. It is protected under certain, certain uh, heritage and uh, foundations. You know, you, you don't just go in there and start messing around with the place. But somehow these people did. Um, what I've also come to learn from Peter's work is that there seems to be a cave system there. Hmm. It's not. It's not. Actually, if you if you were to walk along the road that leads up to where you can park up and and you know enter the path, you can see there's like a caving system or something like it rests on underneath the the woods are like on top, and then of course there's a caving system underneath. So yeah, I mean, Wales has its fair share of stories, especially in the northern parts of goblins and, and strange ghouls and spirits and ghosts. I mean, I don't know all the stories. There's quite a few of them in the book I put for just people's um, for people's uh, for people's attention. But 
What's interesting when I say Denby Castle, it's just a month after the event, there was a story in the local press up there from a man named Graham Evans, that's it, that was his name, and there was a disc-shaped object he caught on his camera, took a picture of it, he, he saw it, he got two pictures, I believe, maybe more, and there it is, a disc-shaped object, very much in similar shape to the one the family saw, and uh, it's uh, the Denby Castle is not that far away. It's about maybe three miles, four miles in a straight line. Mm -hmm. uh, so this is a very local area. I mean, but it's just interesting. I mean, a, a sighting like that usually, when it's it's close, and it's uh, witnessed for such a long time by the family, I often wonder: Are they in the area again? Do they stay around? Which seems to be the case. They always seem to. That, that may have been the main event of the, the sightings at that time, but there's still sight, there's still sightings like it, very similar, but not as impressive, uh, before and after as well. How so, long after the, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, Ben. Oh, no, after how long, too. how long after the, uh, UFO incident, uh, were the trees chopped down? Well, five or six weeks. Wow. So that, that brings up an interesting question, which is, what do you believe the relationship is between these other events and the Denby Lights? Do you believe it's, it's sort of like a separate thing? You know, oh, okay, these are extraterrestrials that are coming down to interact with us. Or, um, is it, is it something more? Is it something that's, that's more, um, in tune with the prior phenomena? Uh, maybe a bit of both. Um, I do believe uh, there has been some pretty interesting work done on this, but there's a lot of craft coming in and out of the North Sea area of Wales. We're not, we're, Wales is in the north north part of Wales, and the sea beyond that, there's a lot of craft seen coming in and out of those waters. I've got a case which I'm looking at now. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to get a time to meet the sea because I want to go up there myself and have a look. Mm. But she reports seeing something coming out of the sea. There's other people who've reported seeing stuff coming in and out of that area. And that makes me wonder, is there a base there? Is there an army base or some other kind of base, maybe? Um, another thing when you say about the, the phenomenon of things, the, the ley lines are something I'm interested in. Uh, you know, supposedly these lines of energy that travel around the Earth, they gather, you know, they, they sort of harness in certain directions and branch out. But then they have hub points where they really gather at, you know, centers as well. Uh, Wales in particular, especially Britain, has a lot of UFO sightings, the major ones happening on these lines. Rendlesham, Sheffield, uh, the Nottingham case of 1984, uh, or was it 1987? It's in the book anyway. Uh, Penturk happened on the same. The Denby lights happened on it. The Berwyn Mountain happened on there. Clonechameth happened on it. The flipping uh, Gary Rose uh, case. Uh, the European Roswell, as he calls it. Europe's Roswell, as it was called. Um, you know, there was another case up in Willsport that was uh, into, which was looked at by Paul Sinclair. That had a lot of orbs and sh ships coming out of the sea, but it hasn't really. I don't know if he's done more work on it, but I found it when I was looking at the Penturk one. And, of course, there's RAF bases around this area. You know, they always seem to build or fly in these areas where these things are happening. And, of course, medieval sites, churches, stone stone monuments. Yeah, mm. a lot of stone monuments, too. To me, it's all connected. And I think after having a lot of time working on these cases hands-on and learning these things, yeah, it's a bit of both, really. Um, uh, I don't know if those craft... I, I can't say those craft are extraterrestrial, although the family are adamant that they are. Mm. 
I would go along with it. You know, yeah, it's probably extraterrestrial because, you know, if we haven't got them, who the hell, then someone else does. Simple as that. Simple logic. Um, good point. But, uh, well, you know, unless someone proves otherwise, but at, at the moment, if we don't have them, someone else does, then it's got to be extraterrestrial. Now, or maybe some ancient, ancient civilization that's still with us, but we haven't, uh, found, we haven't found a way to contact them yet. I don't want to be contacted. That's the only other explanation I can come up with. But, yeah, I mean, it, it is definitely, and I, I think the, the, this, this thing has been with us for thousands of years because even when you look back in, in biblical texts and uh, ancient readings and scriptures, there's always talk of these things. And the, although the descriptions are different, they always describe the same thing: lights in the sky, strange beings, or you know, um, beings that are not human but look human, that kind of thing. Mm, yes, yes, ancient aliens, if you would. Um, there is that is interesting, and there's always always been a question in the back of my mind, you know, discussing all of this. That that is. I find very pertinent, which is perspective, right? We all approach things with, with a different perspective. Unfortunately, there's an objective reality, and we all experience it subjectively because it's informed by this external third party, which some could argue is prior experience or, or sort of prior knowledge that we walk into the event with. You know, my, our, our, well, our sort of theory of the paranormal is you kind of bring into the event what you get out of it. You know, if you walk in expecting to to find ghosts, you're you're going to get you're going to get ghosts of dead people, right? You know, you walk in, you're looking for UFOs, you're going to find you know UFOs. You're going to you know, it's like you see a shimmering figure outside and there's an orb above its head. Aha, an alien. You see a shimmering figure inside your house. Aha, a ghost. And context is incredibly important, in my opinion, um, especially when it comes to perspective of events. Because I, although I, I do understand the family's point of view, okay, this is definitely extraterrestrials, because I wasn't there, right? You know, n- none of us were really there. All we have is, is, you know, the evidence that we have before us, and we kind of try to interpret it. But that's the hard part, is the interpretation. Because it's very hard to, I always find it's very hard and also very limiting to the human spirit if one looks back in time and says, yeah, no human could have built the pyramids. That's impossible. And it's, you know, meanwhile, the Romans are building columns and creating, you know, indestructible cement. And it's like, ah, they're just real smart. And it's, it's, it's one of those things that I always kind of find to be um, the idea of perspective and how, you know, the subject-object problem is like nine-tenths of the problem of, of any sort of paranormal research. Because it's understanding the objective reality through our subjective lens, which is the hard part, the very, very hard part. So with that being said, you know, is it that our our ancestors or all these people with all this folklore interpreted everything incorrectly and they were just dum-dums that didn't know any better, you know, because they didn't have iPhones? Or could it be that, you know, we're using the limited perspective that we have, and they use the limited perspective they had, to try and understand everything, because they didn't have Star Trek, they didn't have Star Wars, you know, they didn't have you know Michio Kaku or or any of the the you know physicists and scientists we have today, you know, could it be perspective that's the issue? Well, of course, uh, perspective is always uh, based upon your knowledge and experience and what you know and what you can figure out. If you're just one of these people who I guess, you know, let's say you're, you're living in the Stone Age and you, your only source of perspective in life is that you just have to hunt, you have to feed, and you have to 
you have to kill to survive, you know, and move around with the seasons, all you're basically doing is, you know, you recognize basic things, your basic hunt, your basic needs, and that's it. You recognize danger when an animal is close by, or you um, identify fire as being something hot you don't want to touch, or if, you know, you see something sharp, you move away from it, that sort of thing. Um, I guess what I'm saying here is, uh, if you're just someone who's very primitive, you're going to see it in very primitive ways. And if you see, like, a bright light or something incredible, you know, or something like that, then obviously you're not going to have the awareness and intelligence and uh, experience to know what you're looking at. You'll just see sparkling lights and, ooh, that's incredible. Um, uh, but, like, you know, when you say, you know, in today's world, I mean, I don't know if there's that much uh, perspective as it is anyway because a lot of people are very dumbed down. Mm. You know, they they... they they only know what they see on television. They only know what they read in the papers, and they only know from some of the crappy education they get from some of the state schools. I'm not saying all all schools are bad, but some of them have been terrible. You're taught what to think, not how to think these days. You're not given critical thinking skills. You're not given the ability to analyze or ask pertinent questions. You are told that this is what it is, and that's the end of it. So... Mm. If you were to see something like this and you're coming from that kind of mindset, and this is something I couldn't get into here, you know, you're seeing something like that. I mean, let me just show you here. I mean, this is, this is a slide of the thing there. Can you see it? Oh, yes. And for those of you who are listening on the radio, we are being shown a picture of the event, which you can see at our show recording. Okay. Um, obviously, in color, that's a lot more impressive, and I've done other slides of it myself. Now, if you like obviously, like us, open-minded and willing to expand your consciousness and just see it from, you know, and, and expand your perspective, yeah, you'll say that that's a round object with strange lights and, you know, that's not aerodynamic. It doesn't conform to any of the things we know. But a person who's not able to think like that in, in terms of their, you say, perspective, right, they'd say there's no such thing as aliens, there's no such thing as UFOs, and, you know, whatever that is, is probably just someone messing around with a, you know, lights or Photoshop or something. Do you know what I mean? Mm. They will not accept it. Their bias gets in the way of everything. Even though it is, you can explain it to them, I said, look, it's clearly a physical object. It's clearly there. You know, you've got video of it. You've got families of it. You, 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 you compare it to other things you know about whether it's lightning or arcing or flashing bulbs or uh, swamp, you know swamp gas if you want like or somebody mm. playing a trick on you you know trying to fool your senses. None of those things stack up. So now that we've broken that down, broken those walls of ignorance down, or destroyed those areas of thought, what now? Ah, oh, well, it's probably just something. You know, they're probably just, you're probably just confused or something. You know, they just will not, it is cognitive dissonance. They always wrap it around in a way they can explain it, and they'll come up with any explanation you want to, you know, like the alien on golf carts thing. I mean, for crying out loud, like. Okay, yeah, no, I think I I, I, I do see where you're coming from, because I, you know, I'm of, of the camp that, you know, for the believer, no, you know, no proof, you know, all, no proof is, you know, no proof is necessary, and for the non-believer, it's, you know, no proof is enough kind of idea, but that is a slightly more nuanced take on the idea of gathering evidence to be able to pre present an argument. And I do appreciate that because it is it is incredibly hard to be able to do that. And speaking of providing evidence, tell us a little bit about your, your books, where people can find out more about you, and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, my books are on Amazon. Uh, this one, both of them are on Amazon. Uh, I, I 
provided you with the links. I mean, this is the one I wrote, co-wrote with Cars Clark. Um, this was uh, like the first five, six years of what we done. That's available on Amazon called The Pantook Incident. This one, The Denby Lights, A Truthful Argument for the Existence of UFOs. That's also available on Amazon. Just type in Denby Lights UFO. I've provided links from uh, the American and the British uh, uh, you know, sites so people can get those there. They're available, they're the Denby Lights one anyway. It's available in hardback, paperback, uh, Kindle or audio. You know, so any one of those that uh, takes your fancy, by all means, you know. If you've got Amazon Prime, you should be able to get some of those kind of things free. You know, if you've got a Kindle version or an audio version, you should might be able to get those free. So there you are. Lovely. Any working on anything else? Anything? Any new projects coming up? Yes, I'm uh, currently just looking at a number of different cases. Um, there's uh, something going on up in, like I said, North Wales, but there's definitely something I'm doing... Uh, in Monmouth, Abercrombie, anyway, there seems to be a bit of a, a hub spot developing there. Um, I'm still trying to um, promote, obviously, the Denby Lights book. I would, I, you know, if any TV company is interested, you know, get in contact because we might. I think the family would love to, you know, some members of the family would love to, you know, get the world to know because they are adamant that this is real, mm. and they've been treated badly by some people, especially Nathan. All families coming to stick, but he's, you know, because you know he was really enthusiastic about this in the beginning, but now he's like. Kind of gone into his shell a bit because everybody's abusing him online and calling him stuff and all that. It's like, oh, you know, screw you, like idiots. Um, and uh, you know, so but I think it would be good. You know, I would like to get that case promoted. Mm. Um, I'm not sure if I've got plans to write another book on UFOs at the minute. Me and my friend are sort of writing a book on a different thing at the moment. I won't go into details on that, but it's like a film idea he came up with, and I don't know. I've just got all these different things I'm going to try. So. Yeah, well, hey, it's 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 good to try. Tim, you got any questions? Well, he answered the one I was I was curious about how the family had been treated uh, after the initial uh, uh, incident. Uh, well, yeah. Uh, if you look at the video when when you go and see it on the documentary, there you'll see that um, yeah, they're all enthusiastic. They don't know what they're looking at. I said, oh my god, that's amazing. This is incredible. Uh, Nathan wants to put it on the post or put it on YouTube. Um, Alex thinks there's a crop circle going to be there. And, you know, um, he's even worried that uh, some sort of men in black style person's going to come and take them away or whatever. But they're all, and, and Kira's like, oh, wow, this is, you know, just amazing. And even now, after I interviewed them, like, you know, this to this day, they are still wanting to see this thing again. You know, Kira said it best. Uh, she's a big Ed Sheeran fan. She thought if she could go to a concert, or she could uh, win them, you know, with Ed Sheeran, go to the, all the backstage passes, and you know, go on the tour with him and all that, or win the lottery to go and you know, live your dreams, or to see this thing again. She said, "Oh, I'd love to see this thing again, you know, because it was amazing, it was priceless." Hmm. She tells you a lot, but like I said, in terms of treatment-wise, I mean, I think you know they've all got thick skins, but because you know, usually the first person who reports it, you know, the person because you know, that would be Nathan. You know, because he's the one that recorded it and talked about it. He's he's really come under a lot of stick. You know, people just lay into him all the time. I'm like, what is your flipping problem? Why are you being like this? And um, I don't know. It's it's, it's I, I can't say. All I can say is he's it's really brought him down. You know, and mm. they've all just come under stick. And I would really like to put it back in their faces. You know what I mean? I say, you know, I've got a documentary. I've got a presentation. I've got the book. You know, I've got all the evidence you could possibly ask for. You know, so you know. Back on you. 
You know what I mean? Have you You're had coming up with... Have you had a response of from from the book that someone has said, "You know what? You're right. You have presented an argument to me and this, you know, I'm I'm on I'm on your side now." Has that has have you ever had that kind of response from your work? Oh, many a time, many a time. People have oh, said, you know, this is yeah, I mean, you know, you know, I've only had a, I've had a few Amazon reviews. Um, uh, I've had a few people read in the comments, you know, brilliant, excellent, brilliant documentary, brilliant, thorough investigation. Can't, you know, can't deny it. The only thing that's really stopping again, and the more recognition is that it is, is because it's such an underrated case. It's not getting the attention it deserves. Like you say, MUFON or other UFO investigators concentrate on other things. Mm, you know, I've got two cases that have happened in the last ten, six, seven years, and you know, there's some of the best cases out there right now, evidence-based-wise, and yet, you know, they're either being shadow-banned or no one wants to talk about them. It's ridiculous. Mm. So, with that being said, how how do you view the the future of ufology? You know, what's what, what do you what do you think is going to to sort of make the next step? You know, trends that you've been seeing and 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 how you know things be going in the in sort of the the wider world, if you will. Well, if they were to announce tomorrow that we're not alone, the ETs are here, and this is where they're from, we've got a couple of names, to me it wouldn't make any difference, you know, because I'm prepared for that sort of news, but obviously the vast majority of people are not. So I think there's a, a delicate situation you have to handle here. Obviously they're going to keep doing like those hearings, you know, David Grush and that, uh, uh, that other fellow that was on the Nimitz, I can't remember his name right now. Um, I think at some point they're going to have to they're going to have to confirm with like NASA's going to have to say it, although NASA no. But they they they, they, they what they, what's going to happen is drip by drip by drip, but the drips will get bigger and there'll be more information and there'll be a lot more um, understanding and acceptance from people. I think at some point the media going to have to focus all their attention on this and really educate the people slowly when when they're ready. I think, you know, maybe in a couple of years' time, the history of ufology, uh, us as ufologists, will probably no longer no longer be needed to investigate because, you know, the, the truth will have come out. By then, we'll probably be the people who will be answering all the, all, the, all the questions. You know, where are they from? What's all this about? How do you know? And all that stuff. You know, we'll be like counselors, I guess, you know, relating people's fears, <laughs> trying to relate <laughs> these people's fears. But, I mean, it, 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 even, I mean, look, the ETs could come down in their ships and go all over the world and come over the biggest places and show us right now that they're there. But I think it's going to have to be done like bit by bit because although the acceptance is there now, it's been proven true. But still, you're going to have to you're going to have to take it slowly. But I think the history of ufology will be we will be more like we'll be vindicated for sure. The witnesses who have been silenced and all the experts who have been you know threatened will be vindicated also. And, uh, yeah, then it'll be, it'll be a new and exciting, uh, pros- you know, uh, prosperity of, uh, trying to figure out, you know, that we're not alone in the universe. What's the hidden technologies? What's the hidden, uh, budgets that you guys have been taking away from us? Uh, I mean, I, I see a lot of possibilities, but there's a lot of dangers to it too. I mean, people could panic, you know, there, there could be, I mean, some people are saying that some of these ETs are hostile and they're coming, you know, they're, they're just getting ready to come back. So, you know, you have to deal with it in a, in a, in a it's, I mean, how do you deal with it? I mean, what, what is the process? All you can do is just educate and hope, you know, that people will stay calm. Mm. You know, I think, uh, 
having these hearings is probably the best way. But I would like to see more physical evidence now. I would really like to see physical evidence of this stuff and, you know, sign to say that this is made of material we don't have. That would be the next step for me. Yeah. I no, think that's, you've, that's got, you've, you've got a shot. And then, then we, we can start looking at uh, the technolo- technological side because I know they've recovered technology and I know they've got stuff that could revolutionize the way we live, you know, the energy and um, food production and the way we could travel. Do you know what I mean? Mm. But you can't just replace one with the other. It's got to happen over a period of time. So who knows how that's going to get done. But I think physical evidence is definitely next. They've got to start showing the physical evidence because I'm sick of hearing words and documents. I want to see physical evidence. Well, true. Plus, there's there's no guarantee that the truth they're telling is the truth, right? You know, they could be, you know, saying whatever they want, really. And it's, you know, that that that's partially me being a little bit cynical about anything that comes from the quote-unquote government. Where it's you know if I, I barely <laughs> I, I barely trust half the things that are that are coming out of out of you know Washington now, let alone anything that has to do with you know some you know cosmic you know like civilization, right? You know possibly it's that that's the thing. It's it's being discerning, I believe, is important. Oh, you need to be. You need to be. You need to do that, otherwise you're just going to fall for everything again. You need to ask. You, you got this is the time to ask all the critical questions. Don't accept it. You know, I want evidence. I mean, it's great to hear. Well, what they call ETs is non-human intelligence or non-human bio, biologics. Mm. You know, and then they you know they talk about non non-human technologies and stuff. And it's like that's your word for extraterrestrial and UFOs. Fine, but you're still admitting it. You know, you've admitted that that's real. Now what we need is it's like stop stop trying to convince people that you know stop trying to convince people Israel just tell us now what it's about who they are where they're from that's the next step mm. show don't tell if you will well yeah Gary, I mean you know put your money where your mouth is exactly well Gary thanks for being on with us it's been it's been wonderful to have you and and I hope we can have you again soon with some more more fascinating information especially about these little little known cases too. Because there's there's always more more that we can learn. So Gary Jones, everybody, and I guess now it's about time because we only have a little bit of time left in the show to hop into some of our announcements. So over the next few weeks, uh, my dad and I will be working with uh, Reverend Michael Carter of Ancient Aliens on a very special uh, podcast with new information uh, he has recovered on the Ancient Aliens theme, as we've been sort of discussing. Uh, this will be a uh, will be fully video and posted on our YouTube channel, and uh, more information to come on that. The Greater New England UFO Conference uh, slash Bigfoot Conference is back. Uh, there will be This will be a one-day event on November 19th at the Veterans Memorial Center in Lemonster, Massachusetts. And you can look for more uh, of the Greater Information New, New England... Sorry, the Greater... New England <laughs> uh, UFO and Bigfoot Conference on Facebook for more information on that. Visit our show's website, BehindTheParanormal.com, where you can find nearly 1,200 hours of our regular shows and special broadcasts since 2008 from CBS Radio, Archive Ra- Achieve Radio, sorry, and here on WOON AM and FM. Also hear many of these broadcasts on the major prod- podcast platforms, including iTunes, Apple Podcast, and YouTube. So what's going on next week, Ben? Well, uh, next week, that's uh, November 12th, uh, we'll bring you an open line show uh, with guest co-host Mark D'Antonio to answer listen- listener questions on all sorts of paranormal 
subjects. And if you have any scientific-related questions, Mark is the man for that, especially anything astronomical. We'll leave you today with a jarring thought from the great quantum physicist Niels Bohr. Everything we call real is made of things that cannot be regarded as real. There you go. There we are. That was my dad, Paul Eno. I'm Ben Eno. And I'm Tim Swartz. Thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we'll see you next time on Behind the Paranormal. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of...